Good evening. Goodbye Forever, Volume 2 by Nakchang Rinpoche. Chapter 28, Part 1. The Shrink of the Outfit. Jack, having laughed heartily, reclined in his seat at the Nostril Cafe. He extended his legs. He cradled his head in his hands for optimal comfort and stretched languidly. He looked up dreamily at the ceiling, a dim, distant look in his eye. Then, almost wistful, me parents, he commenced, then an emotional cough. Well, may as well tell you, disown me, didn't they? Cut off without a f penny. This followed by a slightly manic cackle. Just like Wuthering Bloody Heights, then a decidedly manic cackle. Phoned them. Do you know why? I suppose I wanted to try to explain why I left Synth, but she got in there first, didn't she, of cow? I mean, they're my bloody parents, not hers. She put the story like as I tried to hit her with a hammer. Can you believe that? Can you fuck believe that? It was only a bloody wooden steak tenderizer, and I never hit her with it. Never got nowhere near. Just waved it round, you know, just to keep her from breaking me bloody boxes open. So, they did the you're no longer a son of ours number. Blimey, Jack. Wuthering Heights is the least of it. I'm sorry. No need to be sorry, mate. I told them. Told them straight. Suits me bloody fine. Go stick your bleeding heads up a bear's bum. And that was it. I'm free of the whole friggin' lot of them. I guess at least you won't be spending time out on the moor shouting Cathy or rather Cynthia come home. Not bloody likely, Jack laughed. Still, Jack, I sighed. That makes the scene with my father look like Noddy and Big Ears in Toyland. Too right, mate, but being disowned is one thing I can be happy about. Yeah, well, I ran out of words. Yeah, to be honest, I ate them. I really do. I ate them. Hate? I inquired, slightly shocked. I never hated my father, even in the worst moments. I had plenty of resentment at one time, but I'd never have called it hatred. Well, you know what they're like. They're not fucking human. So you were raised by a toothless bearded hag, schooled with a strap right across your back. Yeah, but it's all right now. In fact, it's a gas. I'm jumping Jack Flashman. It's a gas, 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 Jack cackled maniacally. I see you're as free with lyrics as I am, Jack. It does have a value, doesn't it? Yeah, see your point. I love that song because I was drowned. I was washed up and left for dead. I fell down to my feet and I saw they bled. I frowned at the crumbs of a crust of bread. I was crowned with a spike right through my head. But it's all right now. In fact, 
It's a gas. I'm jumping Jack Flashman. It's a gas, gas, gas. Nice one, Jack, I smiled. I can see you've made this your own. I should Coco, it's my song. But as I was saying, me parents are bloody Anglo-Nazis. Yeah, that's what they are. Like Osborne bloody Mosby. All I was to them was property. They'd have had you in the gas chamber for starters, mate. Hanging was too good for the likes of you. You should have heard them talk about you. Nose like a kanga, they said. Right front wheeler. Bleeding racist turds. Told them he's no blooming kanga. His mother's a shorty and his dad's English. But would they listen? Nah. There you've lost me, Jack. My mother's a shorty. She's five foot eight at least, but what's that got to do with me being Jewish? Being Jewish is down to your schnoz. Fair enough, Jack. My nose isn't exactly diminutive. And short is short and stout, mate. Kraut. Didn't you know that? No, Jack. Unlike you, I wasn't born within the sound of the bow bells. All right, Cobham, Jack chuckled knowingly with a shake of his head. You weren't born in Tibet either, but you probably know enough of that lingo. Fair enough, Jack, but don't judge me too severely for not understanding as much Cockney as you do. Remember that I've spent the last three years in Bristol. Lucky you. I could have done with three years of Bristol's. I'd had to have found since with a bleeding magnifying glass. Doesn't sound as if it was too much fun for either of you, Jack, I sighed. There was no stopping him, so I changed the subject. Still, I wish you'd have recorded that conversation with your parents. I think it would have made me laugh. However, can't say that I hate them, but also... I can't say I was sorry they banned me from your house, apart from the fact it made things awkward. It would have been good to have called on you, you know. You'd have called? Sure, Jack, I answered with a mild degree of vehemence. What do you think? Never thought. Never thought you liked me that much. I didn't quite know how to reply to that. Jack, what do you think I'm sitting here for? I know we're different personality-wise and that we didn't always see eye to eye on my rubato, but you were my friend and I don't quite know how to put this, but I was on your side about not getting your bass drum mic'd when Ron was getting heavy about it. And I was on your side about a few things. I always liked the way you played heavy on the cymbals, and so did Steve. I know you always thought I didn't deserve my place in the band, you know, the position you thought Ron and Steve gave me, but I never felt bad about that because I tried to put myself in your position. I could see it from your side, you know. Jack had developed a somewhat stony face as I was speaking as if layers of latent resentment were stirring in its depths. But by the end, his expression softened. Well, he partially snorted, 
It was our bit with you three, you know. You were like sodding blood brothers or something. The three bloody musketeers. Yeah, Jack, that's true. But I didn't set it up like that. I'd known Steve since I was eight, for crying out loud. But the rest with Ron just happened. And for my part, I wasn't trying to keep you out of the Brotherhood. Besides which, there were four musketeers when D'Artagnan joined. Oh yeah, forgot about that. Jack shrugged. You always were the literary buff. I ignored Jack's comment and continued. You were a percussionist as far as I was concerned and we were all in it for life. Really? Really, Jack. And it wasn't merely tact. Sorry, Jack whispered. A slight blush affected his face and he looked away toward the door. Then he saw something or someone outside that made him blanch. He scooted flat and disappeared under the table. Bloody hell, since outside, he hissed. Jesus, mate, get your head down. She's never seen me, Jack. She won't come in on my account. If she does, I'll think of something. Don't worry. Anyway, she'll have to climb over me to get to you. Cheers, mate. Just tell me when she's gone. I moved my satchel across to where Jack had sat and surreptitiously edged my Levi jacket over that end of the bench chair so that no one could look under the table from the side. I heard a voice whisper, Cheers, mate. I looked out through the front window of the nostril. There was a morbidly obese young woman looking through it with a scowl that would peel paint. I pulled my poetry notebook out of my bag. I removed my fountain pen from its leather container. I proceeded to read through some poetry in process whilst keeping a discreet eye on the door. If it is her, Jack, she appears to be coming in. She's wearing a sort of pale pink trouser suit. Jesus Christ, that's her. She wears that kind of thing to work, Jack whispered. Just don't let on I'm here, whatever you do. Do my best, Jack, I whispered, scratching my nose to hide the fact that I was communicating to someone. I started making notes as Cynthia stumped toward our table. Fortunately, the setup of the tables and benches, together with the subdued lighting, made Jack's presence undetectable, unless Cynthia decided to get down on the floor. That was unlikely. The tightness of her trouser suit would have made her unbendable. I acted as if she was just another customer and tried to look suitably surprised when she addressed me. Is your name Arbuthnot? She asked in a manner bereft of all courtesy. She meant Arbuthnot as in Fakwa Arbuthnot, my band name in Savage Cabbage. Jack always used to address me as Mr Arbuthnot. Pardon? I replied with a look of confusion that was partially realistic. 
Do people call you a buff-knot or something like that? No, I shook my head. I've been called a lot of things I wouldn't like to repeat, but nobody calls me that. Sorry, I concluded with a shrug. Can't help you. Oh, she replied rather curtly. You look like someone my ex-husband told me about once. He was in a rock group. Thanks for the compliment, but sorry, can't help you there. I'm no one famous. They weren't famous, she snapped. Sorry to hear it, I replied, and I was. I turned my face back to my notebook. I thought it would be a normal thing to do if I was impersonating someone who'd been gruffly importuned. She continued to stand next to the table. And in the end, I looked up and with the slightest of smiles said, never was in any rock group. I was trying not to lie. Savage Cabbage was a blues band. She continued to glower and it occurred to me that under normal circumstances, this would cause annoyance. I therefore looked up and said, I don't mean this unkindly, but I would really rather you didn't stand there hovering over me like that. As I said, I can't help you, and now I really would like to get on with my writing without feeling, how should I say, crowded. Cynthia glowered at me a little longer. I wondered what else I could say to dissemble. All right then, but... After this, I really must get on with my writing. What's your ex-husband called? John. John Hackman. But he called himself Jack. Sorry, don't know any John or Jack Hackman. It was true. I didn't. I knew Jumping Jack Flashman. That was his name now, so I was still being marginally honest. Albeit in an entirely dishonest way. Why not ask a member of staff? Is anyone sitting there? She asked with a peculiar look on her face. No, or rather yes, I'm reserving the seat for a friend. He'll be appearing sometime soon. But now, if you don't mind going and sitting down somewhere rather than looming over me. I'm in the middle of writing up ideas and I really need to get back to it. Sorry I could be of no use to you. Oh, she said with a tight snap and turned abruptly to sit at another table. I felt an enormous relief. What if she'd wanted to sit till my friend appeared? She proceeded to keep a wary eye on me positioning herself between my table and the toilet. I guessed she suspected that Jack was hiding in the toilet. She must have caught a glimpse of him before he scooted under the table. And all I could hope was that she'd eventually decide it had been some kind of hallucination.